In the midst of a rapidly changing crisis, our responses were not perfect, but I am confident that they were substantially correct and that they saved this nation from great peril. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Khana Jaffe-Walt in Seattle. And I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. Today is Friday, July 17th. You just heard former Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson at the top there. Today is the day we here said we were going to announce your choice, America's choice, for the Planet Money Fancy Food Challenge winner. <laughs> yes, on Wednesday, David and Adam and I we sat down and we had it out. We had a radio gladiator-style competition. Here's how it went. We had one hour, 60 minutes at New York City's Fancy Foods show, and our assignment was to get the best possible economic story in that hour, and we had to incorporate a mythical creature for some reason. Which one of us did. But we, we are not going <laughs> to announce the winner today because uh, Hannah right now is leading by a small margin. But we're going to keep the polls open because Adam and my voters have been experiencing some difficulties at the polls. There have been uh, very long <laughs> lines at the voting booth. So we're going to keep the polls open a little longer. That's so convenient. All right. It's not going to help you, David. You can do it. But, you know, you're still not going to win. All right, the real reason is that we're going to try and get the Iron Chef Challenge on the radio next week. So we will have our results for you then after my mom has had a chance to vote a few more times. Hannah, did, <laughs> did I tell you that my wife, and she voted for you. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Probably because you dissed her organic milk, David. Yeah. All right. Enough shenanigans here. Let's get to the Planet Money Indicator. All right. That is $3 billion, and that today, we found out, was the profit City made in the third quarter. Bank of America made $2.4 billion. I would point out that these are the two banks financial experts were wondering just six months ago on this very podcast if those banks were maybe insolvent. It's amazing what billions of dollars in bailout loans and help from the Fed will do for your business, David. It is. Um, and we should point out that a chunk of Citi's profits came from the fact that it sold its majority stake in its Smith Barney brokerage unit and that these banks, they're still facing tough times facing credit card losses and mortgage loans that are going bad. Um, so you know, it's hard. It's actually pretty hard for me to figure out what to make of these numbers. But for this uh, last quarter, at least, it looks like there are going to be some people who arguably helped get us into this mess who are going back now to getting large bonuses. Which will make everybody really happy to see happen. So we're actually going to talk about this idea of performance pay or merit pay today, which is something that happens a lot in the finance sector. Um, and we also talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago in the context not of Wall Street, but for teachers. So this is a debate that's heating up with the Obama administration now about whether teacher pay should be directly tied to performance in some way. Right. And the way it's done right now is there's this standard salary schedule. And the longer you teach, the more degrees you have, then the more you get paid. It's not like you get paid depending on how well your students do or how good your performance reviews are or some other way of measuring good teacher performance. You get paid based on the schedule. Right. And when we put a call out to you after that podcast, we asked you how pay works at your job. And we have a couple of your stories. But first, so let's just lay out the basic idea of merit pay, which is pretty compelling when you hear it. 
It seems at first like it's just obviously a good idea how things would work. I called up economist Robert Frank at Cornell, and he says, yes, simple theory with a simple conclusion. Each worker will be paid the market value of what he or she produces for the employer. So the value that the employee adds to the employer's bottom line. Exactly. So, so that sounds like it makes sense, and there are plenty of examples where pay does work this way. Okay, if they come to me and they are a buyer, then we uh, talk with them about what they're looking for. Like with realtors, Rachel Nelson is one, and she lives in St. Paul. When it comes time for closing, it's at the closing or after the closing that I would get paid. So I get nothing until after the property has closed. This, of course, is called commission. It's pretty much the closest that we come to true performance pay. Rachel's job is to sell homes. If she sells a lot, she adds to the company's bottom line. She makes a lot. And if she doesn't, she makes less. And to her, that seems pretty fair. Some years I can be making well into the six figures and other years, you know, I'm 40000 or whatever. Or the person sitting in the desk next to you can be making five times what you're making. It seems like a fair system to me. Rachel says because when this happens, it's clear to her why it's happening, why she's making less or more. She's being lazy or she's just working less. Like when her kids were little, she could make that choice to work less, which she liked. And she liked that that made sense to her, how much she would make. The pay seemed fair in that way. And you have another example of merit pay sort of working, right? This is from the mechanic. Tell us that one. I love that one. Yeah. Okay. So we heard from a bunch of you about the way in which you get paid. And there's this other system that does seem to tie pay to performance that we heard from Raymond McCormick. He runs a mechanic shop in Southern California. And he says they pay entirely based on this one book. Well, we have this real big, thick red book called a time guide or a labor guide. And it says that on such and such a vehicle, it should only take one and a half hours to do this brake job. Do, do you have the book right there? Uh, sure. Hold on a second. Let me walk across the room and get it. Just a moment. There we go. Nice and big. Let's see here. I'm just actually going to go to a, a truck. That, and let's say you have a, um, a 1999 Ford F-250 pickup truck. You want to get all your hoses changed. I pull out my big red book here and remove and replace all hoses. Yours has the 7.3 liter engine, and I follow it across, and it says motor time, or the time that they say it takes to do that job, is one hour. I assign it to one of my mechanics. I say the flag time for this, or the flat rate for this, is uh, one hour to do it. And if he's lucky, he gets it done in maybe 45 minutes, or some of these guys are really good around here. They get it done in half an hour, and you're going to pay one hour's worth of labor because that's what the, the book says, and the mechanic gets paid one hour. And if he goes over? And if he goes over, yeah, that's what happens. Sometimes you have a new guy in here that's just not not that quick or he's not too sure what he's doing. You know, it may take him 90 minutes to get it done sometimes. Well, if that's the case, well, when he's still done, he's, he's only getting paid for the one hour. So this system is called a piece rate system, and Raymond generally likes it at his shop. He says it has the right incentives in place for his guys to stay focused um, but, you know, we also get to some of the downsides of this kind of system. He says with the newer guys, it can cause low morale sometimes. Yeah, it sounds kind of stressful to me. Yeah, a lot of workers don't really like piece rate because it sort of becomes like an arms race. 
Yeah, and then all these guys are trying to do it really quickly, and they screw up my clutch repair because they're rushing too fast. <laughs> yeah, so there there are flaws. And, you know, you could also argue with commission that it makes realtors push people into homes and more expensive homes if they get, you know, too focused on that commission. But in general, if you go by that theory that Robert Frank told us about, that you get paid based on the value that you bring to the bottom line, then these two systems make some amount of sense. There's a pause, like there's a but coming. <laughs> right. There's a but. Um, so let me play you the rest of that cut. Each worker will be paid the market value of what he or she produces for the employer. So the value that the employee adds to the employer's bottom line. Exactly. So does that happen? Well, no, no. The typical pattern is very different from that. So that very simple textbook theory that hardly ever happens in real life. Exactly. We need to sort of bob and weave and come up with explanations for why we don't see the, the, the simple theory's prediction apparently borne out in, in the actual marketplace. It's like the lost tapes. <laughs> now we hear the full <laughs> truth. Yeah, now I'm telling you what really happened, which is that he has this theory, an economics theory, that is, you know, logically sound, but actually doesn't happen in the real world very often. So Frank says, you know, in sales and finance, and apparently mechanics do this too, we get pretty close to this idea, but for the most part, we don't. And in most sectors, pay is not directly tied to performance, like you do this and you will make more money. So there's sort of a mystery here, which is why it doesn't happen more. And one reason that makes some sense to me is that, come on, you know, can you really, you say you want to reward people for good performance, but what what is good performance? <laughs> All right, Plato. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, you know, it's not easy to measure, right? You have sales. With sales, okay, it's pretty clear, you know, you're supposed to sell homes. You sell 10, I pay you for 10, but... What if you have like a team of software engineers and they're working on this project and you don't you don't know who is doing all the work? There's maybe there's one guy who writes most of the code, but maybe he's really sloppy and it has a lot of bugs and then some other guys quietly fixing it and then there's this woman Sally and she uh you know, she shows up every day and she checks in with management and she keeps everything running smoothly. I mean, how do you who's the most productive worker there? Right. So so Frank says, yes, that can be complicated. And you could say no one really knows who's the most productive. But then this is also true. Still, people have their opinions about who's more valuable. So if you ask this question, who's the most valuable member of the group? People will be able to answer that question pretty well in most cases. Uh, in most groups, there would be consensus on who's the most productive worker. So say we asked the Planet Money team, who is the most okay. productive person? And everyone had a little piece of paper, and they all wrote down secretly who they thought it was. And secretly, it turns out, everybody thinks Caitlin's obviously the most productive person. She produces the podcast. She produces all of our stuff. She's clearly the most productive person in the team. All right. So the next question is, uh, who are the two least productive people in the group? <laughs> okay. So then we all secretly write down on a piece of so paper. Let, let's suppose that's you and me. Okay. So you and me, we... I'm, I'm a temp on the team, but <laughs> so they say Hannah and Bob. Okay. okay Hannah and Bob, they along. don't... We wouldn't want them to leave. They're great, but... Right. They don't produce that much. They don't really carry right. their weight all the time. 
Who would you miss more, the top person or the two bottom people? You wake up the next morning, one of them's gone forever. The top person's gone forever, never to be replaced, or the bottom two are gone forever. So Caitlin's going to disappear tomorrow, never to be seen again, or Bob and Hannah are going to disappear tomorrow, never to be seen again. Which would hurt the group more? Now, in most cases, the answer to that question is going to be the top person. So they'll say, well, Caitlin's disappearance would hurt the the group more, the, the the disappearance of Bob and Hannah would, well, we'd barely miss them. What? Uh, but they, there are get, two of us. Even if we're not very productive, there are two of we us. Get, we get in the way. We argue. We, we don't pull our weight. Yeah, uh, all things considered, true. We wouldn't want them to go, but we could do without them. All right. So that that's the answer to the second question. And then uh, if the theory is right, it should be if you'd miss the top person more, if you'd miss Caitlin more, then her salary ought to be larger than the combined salaries of Bob and Hannah. Okay. So she should yeah. make our two salaries combined. She yeah. should make so more than our two salaries. She should make more than that. Yeah, since if the answer is we'd miss her more, her salary should be larger than the combined salaries of the bottom two. Is it? In most groups, no. That's an apparent contradiction. If the bottom two aren't as good as the, the top player, why do the, together they get paid more than the top player? Hannah, that's a very astute analysis. I have one correction, which is that I am obviously the most productive person on the Planet Money team. <laughs> you would say that, David. Um, you know, but, I mean, he does have an interesting point here. So he's saying, you know, this theory, you could say it doesn't happen in real life because productivity is a hard thing to measure, as you said, David. But listeners, I ask you, when you think about who you work with, some people really don't carry their weight, right? You are, you're all picturing that guy right now, and everyone knows who that guy is. And on the other hand, people generally also know who the most productive person is. That's me. <laughs> right. Caitlin in this scenario. So she should get paid more. So the theory would say if she's more valuable than the bottom two people, then Bob and I combined, she should get paid a lot more. But I don't. <laughs> hey, Caitlin. <laughs> hey, Caitlin. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I just thought I should jump in. You know, this is NPR. We like to get the facts straight. And I definitely... Don't make more. <laughs> right. So that's the thing. In most places, there are top performers. Me. And, th- and me. <laughs> right. And there are bottom performers. And there's not a huge difference in their paychecks. So Bob Frank says there's a lot of possible other explanations for that. So one is simply that paying everyone in one team similar wages, it appeals to our sense of fairness. So we're all reporters. We all basically get paid the same. You're all teachers, you're all accountants, you should all get paid the same. It's only fair. But I have to say, as the alleged top performer, that just doesn't seem very fair to me. Well, Caitlin, look, if you're so much better than us, what, you should just leave and go find someone else who'll pay you more? Oh, grow up. <laughs> I'm mean, serious. That's how the market's supposed to work, right? If you're not getting paid what you're worth here, someone else should say, oh, we would love Caitlin. And Caitlin, we can double your pay. That's the way a system's supposed to work, right? Sounds good. Okay, well, this is actually an interesting question. So Frank has a theory about this, too. Why Caitlin and all the Caitlins of the world don't just move on and up? Because they like it. It feels good to be the top person. If you want to be in the top half of your group, well, that means somebody's got to be in the bottom half of your group. That's the only way to have a a top dog is if there's a bottom dog. So if, if it's a good thing to be the top dog, and conversely, if it's a bad thing to be the bottom dog then you have to ask why anyone would agree to be the bottom dog. 
why not say, well, if, uh, I'm going to quit this group where I'm the bottom dog and form a group with people like me. That way I won't feel so bad that I'm the last person to get the joke each time. That's a good question. If the top dog values being the top dog more than the bottom dog dislikes being the bottom dog, there's a good deal that can be struck. The top dog can share some of his pay with the bottom dog. They can stay in the group together. The bottom dog can tolerate whatever burden there is associated with having a low-ranked position. In return for extra pay, the top dog, by giving up a little bit of pay, gets to enjoy whatever intangible benefits there are associated with being the top dog, and it's a fair trade for everyone. (laughs) Wait, so you're saying that Caitlin is willing to get paid less so that she can feel better about herself, and I am willing to feel worse about myself, but I get paid a little bit more so that I, I, exactly. I don't feel so yeah. bad. We, we, we tolerate being the slowest members of the team because we get paid a little extra. Uh, she tolerates the low pay because, hey, it's a pretty nice feeling to think you're the, the straw that stirs the drink. This explains so much. <laughs> Hey, Caitlin, let me just apologize. I really, really don't want you to leave us. You should stay here. You are the straw that stirs the drink. You just want me to mix the podcast today, don't you? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, could you stir the podcast too? Yeah. Um, the other thing I took away from that, Hannah, is that you are being paid a premium for being the worst in the group. In this theoretical example, yes, Stickman, Kestenbaum. Of course, in real life, I know myself to be an above average performer. Thank you very much. Me too. Me too. Okay, so you see how we all think we're the best. Bob has some thoughts about that, too. If you ask somebody, how good are you, uh, the typical factory worker uh, will say, I'm in the 90th percentile in terms of productivity vis-a-vis my colleagues. If you ask college professors, how good are you, 94% of them will say they're better than their average colleague. Uh, if you ask drivers, how, how good a driver are you, more than 90% will say they're an above-average driver. There's a great study showing that drivers in the hospital recovering from accidents they'd caused, 85% of them thought they were above average. What? (laughs) Drivers who are in the hospital because of accidents that they've caused, 80-something percent of them still say that they're better than average? Right. Yeah, it was bad luck. Uh, 85% of the people out there uh, factor luck out, and I'm better than they are. So if everybody thinks he's above average and you do merit pay, and the merit pay is based on a fair assessment of how how good you actually are, then you've got half the employees getting below average raises and 90% of them thinking that they were above average productivity. You've got a recipe for very low morale in the face of of that discordance. And so I think people have tried merit pay, uh, but it, it, it oftentimes generates way more morale problems than productivity gains. So Robert Frank says here in the real world, the most, most common way we make our money, it is not through merit pay, at least not directly. It's not directly tied to our performance. So usually we get some base pay. And at the end of the year, perhaps our bosses will sit down with some amount of money for raises and bonuses, and then they just divvy it up. And it's not, you know, you did this PowerPoint, you get $1,000. It's more just impressions of how well you've been working. Right. So my impression is I feel like Bob, our economist, has been working really hard. Let's give him (laughs) $1,000. Right. Exactly. Um, This whole thing sort of made me think about executive bonuses on Wall Street differently. So we all get really furious when we hear about those bonuses because they're enormous figures and because we handed these companies billions in bailout funds and because we're rewarding bad behavior. But 
Also, because this isn't our experience of the world. Most of us don't get paid for performance. You know, there are profit sharing agreements or premium pay where, you know, you'll set targets and say in the quality of some product or you can get stock. But we, we don't get paid directly tied to our performance. And so that sort of made it make sense to me more why, why it seems so crazy to most of us. You know what makes sense to me now? What? I, I realized that in, in our system, uh, there is no financial incentive for me to be the most productive person on the team anymore. <laughs> so uh, really what I need to just do is kiss up to Uri, our boss, so he doesn't fire me. And then I can just slack off like you do, Hot. <laughs> Dude, that was a theoretical scenario, David. Does that uh, mean I'm really not the most productive? <laughs> no, no, you are. You are. You are. <laughs> okay. are, are we done, guys? Because it's about 2 p.m. and I got to go home. Yeah, we're all set. Okay, I want to say I, I want to say one last thing, which is that the main main way people do increase their pay is through getting promoted. So, David, unless you're in the ideal position right now, you might want to wait until you move up some and make some more money before you stop carrying your weight around here. Okay, we are done now. Thank you to all of you who sent us notes about how you get paid in your workplace. We love hearing from you. Your thoughts, your indicators, your favorite color, whatever you want to tell us. We are at planetmoney at npr.org. And do not forget to vote npr.org slash money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. David? Did, did, did David leave? David? Yeah. <laughs> He's gone. All right. Well, I guess I'll thank people. He's David Kestenbaum, and I'm Caitlin Kenny. Thanks for listening. Daylight.